Hope you guys are having a good day. Sunday, November 7th, I believe. Seven, the number of perfection. And it is 11.17. All right, so here we go. I'm just going to pray real quick. Is that okay? I'm going to do it anyway. So, God, thank you so much for this opportunity. Thank you for Reclaimed Church. Thank you that we get to celebrate one year doing life with you and doing life with each other. So I just thank you for your goodness. I just come against confusion in Jesus' name. I come against fear in Jesus' name. I come against condemnation in Jesus' name. And I just speak love. I speak peace. I speak blessing and prosperity into the room. And thank you for the honor to know a really good God. In your name, amen. Um, I was thinking this morning um, about James 4, where it talks about draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. And I was thinking about how Allie and I do this thing. We always, um, it's kind of like our little routine after we eat dinner. We always are watching TV together. And at some point, we like to have a snack Normally, it's cereal. Like, we always have cereal at night. We got all these different kinds. Like, it looks like we have two six-year-olds that live in the house. (laughs) Every once in a while, Allie buys old people cereal all the time. And I tell her, no offense, all right, sorry. And I tell her, you don't eat the cereal. Like, you don't like it. Like, she'll buy Life. She'll buy, where are the ones you like? Honeycombs. What else do you? Kicks. Yeah, all the ones that are plain and boring. No one likes, and she buys them, and then she eats my cereal. And I'm telling her, Allie, don't buy it. You don't like it. And she's like, I do. I love it. And then, and then I get up, and I get a cereal, and she goes, oh, I, I want Lucky Charms. I'm like, Lucky Charms are mine. <laughs> like, what are you doing, you know? So we have this moment every night. We'll be watching TV literally every night, and we'll hit pause or something, look over the episode, and, and Allie will go, I want cereal. And I'll go, I want cereal too. And we're laying back in the recliner, and then we will battle back and forth on who has to get up to get the cereal. It's literally like two or three minutes where we'll go, no, you get it. And I'll go, I got it last night, and the night before, and the night before that, and the 12 nights before that one. I was like, it is your turn. And we go back and forth, and then finally I'm like, okay, I'll get up and get the cereal. And I noticed, you know, both of us are laying there, We're both saying we want cereal, but neither one of us is willing to get up and get it. We keep our butt on the couch and say, I want it, I want it, I want it, and we refuse to actually get up and get it. And I notice a lot of times I do that same thing with God. I sit on the couch, and I'm open for it. I want the cereal, but I'm not willing to take the simple action of standing up and pouring the bowl and actually eating it. If someone sits it in my lap, I'll take it. And I was thinking about James 4, draw near to God, and then he will draw near to you. And I thought, how many times, God, have I begged for cereal? Have I asked for cereal? Have I wanted cereal? But I haven't been willing to actually stand up and get it. And I thought, you know what? This year, I'm going to stand up and get it. I'm going to take the step. I'm going to recline the chair or incline the chair. (laughs) and I'm going to go and get the cereal. So I'm going to urge you guys this year, I know it's not a new year, but it's a new year for Reclaimed Church, and even if you're just popping in, I would urge you to kind of take a step, 
to take a step and move forward and you go, no, you know what? I want you, God, but I'm not just going to sit here and wait for you. I'm actually going to step forward and go and get you. All right. So I was going over, um, like I said, New Year for us, and I was going over all my messages that I've spoken. I was like, man, I can't believe I've talked this much. Like, you know, my mom always said, I love to talk, and here I am. I talk, and you guys are captive and have to listen to me. And I was going over all of them, and I was telling Allie, I was like, man, this is so crazy. I want to do like a recap or do one that I've done before. Like, I don't know what it was, but I was really just thinking about the goodness of God. And something that I've been studying a lot recently is just that God is a good God. God is a good God, and I believe that God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And I was just talking to someone not long ago, and they were kind of leaning into the Marcionism type of theology. If you guys don't know what that is, that is the belief that the Creator God is a different God than the God that sent His Son to die on the cross. Marcionism, not with an X. <laughs> I was telling Allie last night, she's like, Marxism? I'm like, no, Marcionism. And she's like, Marxism. I'm like, no, Marcionism. And it's the belief that there's two different gods because they say Jesus came to reveal the Father and the thing that Jesus revealed is in what they say is in complete contradiction with the Old Testament God. And they say, so the only way to explain this is to believe that there are two separate gods. So I have, over the years, I have kind of gone down this list of believing that the God that Jesus revealed is the same God yesterday, today, and forever. And that when Jesus came down, he flipped the lights on. He flipped the lights on on who God is. I gave this analogy before, you know, I don't because I'm a great sleeper. But some of you guys wake up and you go to the bathroom in the middle of the night. I just rebuke that in Jesus' name. I think you should sleep all the way through. That's ridiculous. But you guys wake up. I've even heard some people two or three times a night. I'm like, man, you guys, what is going on with that? Um, but you guys wake up, you go to bed, you go to the bathroom, and I hear you guys leave the lights off. And you feel your way through. And I was talking to someone and they were telling me that they were on vacation and they tried to do that. And they realized, okay, now I have to turn the lights on. <laughs> because we have to get to know our scenario with the lights on before we try to get to know it with the lights off. So the New Testament, the, the God that Jesus revealed is him coming in and flipping the lights on. So every time I'm in the Old Testament, every time I read something that seems like it's full of wrath, full of anger, I go, okay, God, I've seen you with the lights on. I've seen you with the lights on. It's dark right now, and I keep hitting my foot on something. I keep stuffing my foot on something. I have two options. I can either lean into Marcionism that says, you know what, this is a different God. It can't be possible. Or I can go, you know what, I think this will look different if I was able to flip the switch right now. So I want to talk a little bit um, about a God that I believe what he looks like with the lights on, okay? So I'm going to, um, my title this week is So Loved. And I just believe in a really good God, okay? So I just want to show you a really Good God. This is 1 John 4, 8. New Testament, all right? It's profound, guys. New Testament. Here we go. 1 John 4, 8. But who, and, I'll try that again, all right? 
God help me. Here we go. <laughs> All right. But anyone who does not love does not know God, for God is love. For God is love. Love is not the deity that we worship, but it is the very character and definition of who God is. God is love. God is love. So what do I do when I'm reading something, when I hear something, and I don't feel like God's such a loving God? I don't know about you. Maybe it's just me, the way that I've interpreted it or perceived it. But a lot of times growing up, it's almost like I took this view of God. God was angry because of sin. And in order to fix his anger, Jesus came and died on the cross. And he made it all right, which he didn't make it all right. But God was angry and Jesus came and fixed it. And I was reading this um, really amazing verse that's down deep in scripture that many of you haven't heard of, and I'm going to reveal it to you guys today, okay? All right, so it's gonna be your first time, but it's, it's from this, this book, barely made into the canon, it's called John, chapter three, and it's verse 16, all right? So like I said, I know you haven't read it before, but, but I'm gonna read it to you for the first time, all right? It says, for God, so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Now this is New Testament, right? But it's not the new covenant yet. New Testament, not the new covenant. We're in the bridge chapter right here. And it says, for God so loved the world. God so loved the world that he gave. He wasn't so angry with the world that he commanded. He wasn't so, you know, upset with the world that he said, you know what, you have to go. I have to send my son because I'm so tired of them. The egg, you know, the father, the son, the Holy Spirit, they're one person, three parts. So just like Jesus went down, it was also God himself going down too. And he goes, because I so love. Not because I'm angry, not because I'm disappointed, but because I so love the world. I'm gonna give. Because I so love, I'm going to give. That whoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. I was reading this and I was thinking, really God, you did all that on a whosoever? You went through all that on a whosoever. And you know, the Bible talks about Jesus carrying the, the weight of sin when he was on the cross. He bore the weight of sin, right? Just for those that would come and love him. Just for those that would repent and follow him 100%, right? It depends on what the theological view you have, so... Everyone might not be with me, but I believe that he bore the weight of sin for the entire world, for all existence. Not because he was betting that Abby would follow him, but because he said, I so love Abby, I don't care what you do, I'm willing to die for you. Because he so loved, he said, whosoever. I'm gonna do it on a whosoever. 
not because I know it's going to bring connection. I'm going to do it just so it can bring connection. On a whosoever, and I listen to people, you know, maybe it's just me. I might not be as godly as the rest of you. But I hear people, you know, say some horrible things about Christianity, mock it, say ridiculous things about God. And there's something inside of me that stirs up. And I want to utter these words. I want to go, one day you'll see. One day you'll be sorry. And I realized it wasn't about that. He died for a whosoever. He didn't die because that person would repent. He died so that person could repent. It was just on a whosoever that he so loved the world. Because I've noticed God can seem kind of like crazy sometimes. Like he can seem kind of crazy in love for no reason. It's like, God, they are never going to care about you. Have you heard those people that they will just say awful things, maybe on the news or on Instagram or whatever you guys are looking at? You just hear people say ridiculous things about Christianity. I go, God, you, that's your whosoever? That's who you're so crazy about? Last night, Allie and I um, were working on, we're having a party tonight, just if you didn't know that. And it's not just a boring party. It's a cool party if the person throwing the party says it's cool. So it's going to be cool. So you guys should come. If you don't, we disown you. Anyway, all right, so we're having this party, and Allie and I are working on um, some stuff, and she's trying to sign into her old YouTube account. And she's getting into it, and she hasn't used it for years, and I was asking her, she was using my phone, and I was like, do you know the email? And she was like, yeah, and it was embarrassing. I won't tell you the email. And I said, do you know the password? And she's like, well, it could be a couple things. And I was like, well, what is it? And she's like, I think it's um, I love Justin Bieber, one, two, three, four. (laughs) And I was like, what? (laughs) I don't know if you guys knew Allie when she was younger, but she was a little bit of what they would coin a groupie. If you don't know the definition of a groupie, a groupie is a, normally a female that follows a certain celebrity or famous person in hopes of meeting or getting to know them. It's the definition. I memorized it because I'm really smart. And um, that's kind of what Allie was. If you knew her growing up, it was kind of ridiculous. I remember one time um, we were over for small groups walking in, and we flipped on the light switch, and there is a six-foot cutout of Justin Bieber. I feel like I remember hearing a funny story about Mr. Rick pulling his gun on that cardboard cutout. <laughs> she like just didn't even tell anyone, just stuck it there in the dark and wonders why people freak out. But yeah, so she had this cardboard cutout of Justin Bieber, and anytime we went anywhere, you know, she'd pull up pictures of him and stuff just to spite me, you know? And I had this desire to sit Allie down because all she wanted was Justin Bieber and didn't care about me, and I was like, that's ridiculous. And I had this desire to sit her down and go, Justin Bieber does not know you exist. (laughs) Justin Bieber does not love you, but I can. (laughs) You know? (laughs) Like, literally, we're getting heartfelt here, guys. And, like, I wanted to sit her down and let her know that, because, honestly, she seemed, no offense, sweetie, I love you, but she seemed a little deceived at the moment. Could you guys agree? You know, there are some things that were said that I just don't want to embarrass her farther, so I'm not going to keep sharing these experiences. But those that were around know them. And she seemed a little bit deceived. I know you guys are thinking, like, 
groupie. Like, come on. Like, how could, how could you fall for that? But sometimes I look at God and I read these chapters about love and I read these verses about God dying for a whosoever. And I think, God, sometimes you sound a little bit like a groupie. <laughs> like I hear that you're watching us while we sleep and like you're closer than our skin and like all this stuff. I'm like, God, it's getting a little weird. You know, it's getting a little bit close because did you know that those people are never gonna love you? Have you ever worried about God's heart? Am I the only one that's ever done that where I'm like, God, I don't want you to get hurt. I don't want you to get hurt here because they just keep spitting in your face and the thought that you died for them hurts me. I don't want you to get hurt, God. And I almost have the same desire that I had with Allie where I want to sit God down and I want to go, God, you know. You know who's going to love you and who's not going to love you, so could you just please not keep getting hurt by the same people? I just picture God looking at me and going, Corey, you're missing it though. I died for a whosoever. I so loved the world that it was on a whosoever, not on a who. Not on who would come, but on so everyone could come. God so loved the world. Have you guys ever seen um, a mom or a dad that has like the bad case of the so loves? Has anyone ever seen that? <laughs> Everyone in the room is like, yes, because we know you, Corey. <laughs> we all know that. And um, if you guys knew my, my mom and my dad growing up, my mom was just a little bit out there. God bless her. She is. She's in the other room, and she's still a little out there, and we love her. We love her for that. But um, growing up, you know, at sporting events or stuff, she would show up, and she'd have this big shirt that said, um, Corey's mom, and then she had a hat with a baseball on it that said Corey's mom, and then she had this big diamond pin, pin that said Corey's mom, and um, you guys think I'm joking, I'm not, I'm being dead serious, like I, I definitely remember that, and um, you know, she'd have the milk cartons, and she'd shake them, and she'd stand up and scream, and it was funny because the other teams would know my mom from her scream, and it's like everyone knew, okay, <laughs> Are you, are you Kathy's son? Yep. All right. I hear her scream a lot. It's like, yeah, she, she really loves me. And, and if, you guys, if you guys know her to this day, I'm talking like just a couple weeks ago, Allie knows, I'll be sitting in the room and every so often she'll be looking at me and I'm like, what's going on, mom? And she's like, you're just so beautiful. <laughs> I'm not exaggerating. It happens all the time. I'm like, all right, mom, like I love you. And she's like, no, you're beautiful. <laughs> And it's like Lindsay or, Lindsay or I cannot come up in the conversation without her being like, they're perfect. <laughs> like, you know, don't talk about your kid being good at anything. Like, I'm sorry, all right? Just don't bring it up to her. Just don't mention it. It's not, it's not a good idea because she will bring us into the conversation. I tell her, mom, just because someone else's baby did something doesn't mean you gotta tell them what we did when we were babies, you know? Like, every conversation is kinda like all roads lead to the same subject. It's like, it doesn't matter what it is, it's leading back to the same subject. And it's because my mom, thank God, has a really bad case of the so loves. She so loves her children. And you know, the Bible says that 
if, if your earthly father can give you good gifts, how much more can your heavenly father give? And it seems like Jesus just illustrated this picture of if you think an earthly parent can love, just imagine how I can love. And to think that I've seen people with a bad case of the so loves, to think that God's case is so much worse. To think that he so loved the world even before Jesus. That he so loved the world that he said, you know what? We have to do something here. We have to tear the veil. We have to make sure there's nothing getting in the way of us and them. I gotta know them like that. In the midst of all of the chaos of the Old Testament, God still so loved the world. We are the objects of his obsession. <laughs> to think that he was willing to do the unthinkable. To go farther than we could ever Imagine, it seems like we are the objects of his obsession and nothing can change that obsession. And that scripture includes you. God so loved you. I wonder if that's the words that go through our mind when we feel like we really blew it. When we're walking outside and like kicking the rocks, you know, those type of days. And we think a lot of things about God. Allie and I were sitting at Beefo Brady's last night talking about this, and she said, it's just weird how growing up, you can just get that visual even today that when you screw up, that God is mad. It's so easy to get that visual because many of us might have grown up with a father that went like this and said, if you keep crying, I'll give you something to cry about. So we feel like we have to bottle up these feelings and we can't let God know that we're upset or disappointed because we see this coming down at us. But I'm here to tell you that God so loved the world. Even before Jesus came down and fixed it, even before the veil was torn and you walked into right standing, God so loved the world. Even deep into the Old Testament, 750 years, 750 years before the sin problem would be essentially solved, before Jesus would come down as the ultimate sacrifice and pay the price so that Jesus could die and you could be crucified with him on the cross so the veil could be torn and you could walk into right standing 750 years before that in all the chaos, we see God's love show up again on full display. Even in the Old Testament. Because I believe God's the same yesterday, today, and forever. And I believe sometimes the lights might be off, but they're actually on. And, and he shows up on full display through this guy named Hosea. You guys might be familiar with Hosea. He's one of the first of the minor prophets. And he's a prophet of God, which means that he would be one of the most recognizable people in all of Israel. And depending on you know what prophet you read, a lot of them had some like serious assignments that they had to take care of. It was hard and it was rough. It was the call of God. But Hosea had arguably 
the worst assignment out of anyone. So God started speaking to Hosea like he would many of the other prophets. He would speak to him and, and the prophet's job was to do exactly as God said. And he said, Hosea, I want you to go and marry a prostitute. Come again, God. <laughs> I don't think I heard you correctly. You want me to what? I want you to go and marry a prostitute to represent my love for Israel in the way that they prostitute themselves on me. I want you to go and marry a prostitute. I wonder, how does that search start? What does that exactly look like for him to go and start that journey? For him to go look for his future wife, what does that look like? Where does he start the search? So he ends up finding this woman. Her name is Gomer. Bummer of a name, right? She was obviously not very loved. <laughs> you know, when you hear about those birth announcements and you're like, the name's what? Oh, that poor baby, God bless them. You know, that was Gomer. <laughs> poor baby, bless her. So Hosea marries this woman named Gomer that was in prostitution. And it honestly seems like it starts out relatively well. They end up having a baby boy and Jesus starts to, God starts to prophesy over his children and he ends up having a baby girl and then another boy and the family seems to be somewhat working out, right? Whether it was three, four, five years, I don't know. But all of a sudden Hosea wakes up this mighty prophet a prophet of God for all of Israel. He wakes up and Gomer's nowhere to be found. She's not in her bed. She's not in the kitchen. She's not watching the kids, but she's gone. And here's Hosea, a, now a single dad with three kids and Gomer's out. I can only imagine, the Bible doesn't get into great detail on this part, but I can only imagine that there might've been some rough nights there might have been some hard days having the weight of being a prophet for all of Israel, knowing that you're supposed to be a beacon of hope to all of these people and you can't even keep your wife at home. Thinking, God, did I not provide for her better than prostitution provided for her? Did I not love her more than, than those men loved her? Did I not provide better than that? I can only imagine what that would have looked like, taking care of children and also wondering what the entire city of Israel was talking about, what they're saying about you. He's not a prophet, he's a joke. He married a prostitute and then she walked out on him. That's not a prophet of God. Can you imagine what would have been said? What would have been felt when Hosea laid his head down at night? And we pick up the story this is Hosea chapter three, verse one, when Gomer is gone and the Lord speaks to Hosea and he says, go and love your wife again, even though she commits adultery with another lover. This will illustrate that the Lord still loves Israel, even though the people have turned to other gods and love to worship them. 
I was listening to one scholar, and he wrote that、um, Israel seemed at the time to have three great philosophies on what love was. And he wrote the first one is that love could be purchased. Second one was that love is the pursuit of self gratification, making yourself happy. If I could just make myself happy, if I could just get the job that I want, the family that I want, the car that I want, then I would be happy, then I would feel loved. And the last one was that love could be found in things. And possessions. And I was reading that and I was thinking, that sounds eerily similar to what's going on today. That sounds eerily similar to the world that I'm living in right now because I'm pretty sure that's how the world would define love. But God seems to show up and go, you know what? I want to show you what real love is. I'm going to pierce through that messed up theology of what you think love is and how you find love. I'm going to open that up and show you what love truly is. And he goes, Hosea, go and find her. Go and find her. Now, again, what does that look like? Here's a man of God, a prophet of all of Israel. Going down to find his wife that was once a prostitute and now has fallen back into prostitution. Where does he go to look for her? Where is he going to find her? So here's Hosea going down to the red light district, to the place that a man of God should never go. To a place that if a man of God is seen, no one listens to them anymore. And he's going down and he's looking for his wife. Does he come in contact with men that might have seen his wife? Can you imagine how dirty and ugly that search must have been? Hey, have you seen Gomer? Yeah, are you guys still together? I, I didn't know. Remember, he's arguably one of the most recognizable people in all of Israel. People knew who he was. Yeah, I saw her, but I didn't know. I didn't know you guys were still together. He eventually, he eventually catches up to Gomer, and most scholars believe that Hosea walked into an auction. And if you don't know what an auction was like in that day, Women or children obviously weren't even allowed into the place of auction. You had to be a man and one that could pay, and what would happen is they would lead the slaves into the middle of the room, and there was this big pedestal, and they would stand the slave up. That way, the men could walk around the entire room, and they would strip the slave naked. So there the woman would be in chains on her wrists and on her ankles, chained to the pedestal as men walked around and examined what they were going to pay. And this is what Hosea walks into, seeing his wife on the pedestal and going, I need to get her back. I just picture him walking in and going, That's my wife. And the crowd laughing. Auctioneer going, I don't care who you think this is, this is her price. And I'm thinking, you had to pay for your wife? 
you had to pay a price for something that was already yours. You know, the Bible says that the heavens belong to the Lord and the earth is his footstool. And he still sent his son down to pay for a pay a price that was already his. He already owned us and he still wanted to pay the ultimate price for us. So he walks into this auction and he starts to bid on his own wife. He ends up paying 15 pieces of silver and five bushes of barley. 15 pieces of silver is actually the number in the Bible that represents, I don't even remember, (laughs) that represents God's divinity towards humanity. 15 represents God's divinity towards humanity and five represents his grace. And he goes, I'm willing to pay that to get her back. And I picture this moment that goes on in my head of him taking her outside and unbuckling the handcuffs and the chains around her ankles. And this is verse three. It says, and I said to her, you shall stay with me many days. He leads her outside and he begins to renew his vows with the woman that left him. And he goes, you shall stay with me many days. You shall not play the harlot, nor shall you have a man. So too will I be to you. No longer will we bring anyone else in on this. It's just gonna be me and you. I know you messed up. I know you screwed up. Can you imagine being Gomer for a minute? Can you imagine being chained, leaving the man that all he did was provide and love for you after the past that you had and then you went back into the past that you knew you shouldn't have and you're standing on a pedestal naked being auctioned off and that man walks back in and goes, I'm willing to pay for her. Can you imagine the shame and guilt that would have laid on her head and her shoulders? I don't know about you, but I've felt shame before I've looked at God before and I said, you shouldn't have to pay for this. This is my fault. And he goes, yep, I'll still take it. I know you screwed up. I know you feel shame. I'll still take it. I'll still pay the price. I'll still renew my vows with you because I so love you. Even before my son came, I so loved you. And then after he seems to renew his vows with his wife, the Spirit of God seems to come on Hosea and he begins to prophesy about Israel and about the days to come. This is verse four through five. It says, this shows that Israel will go a long time without a king or prince without sacrifices or pillars or priests or even idols, but afterwards the people will return and devote themselves to the Lord their God. And look at this, to David's descendant, their king. He didn't know the name of Jesus, but he felt the name coming on through. In the last days, they will tremble in awe of the Lord's goodness. You see, Hosea knew what it was like to tremble in fear of God. And he goes, no longer. I'm going to prophesy about a day that will come when people will tremble in awe of his goodness. 
The Bible says it's his goodness that leads people towards repentance. It's not shame, guilt, or anger. And a lot of you guys have had the church throw that at you for years, believing that that's gonna bring change. It's actually his goodness that's gonna bring change. Because he so loved the world. But the sad part is those were not the days that Hosea lived in. He prophesied about a day, but he didn't get to live in it. He went 750 years before Jesus actually came to the earth, and we got to experience the very thing that Hosea prophesied about. In Matthew 6, you guys might have read it, but there's this moment where people are criticizing Jesus and going, why do you sit with tax collectors and notorious sinners? And Jesus goes, I came to love sacrifice, or to love, sorry guys. <laughs> I desire mercy and not sacrifice. I desire mercy and not sacrifice. And he said, go and study the scripture that means this. Jesus was talking about Hosea. What was Jesus saying? He was going, I'm your Hosea. I came to sit with notorious sinners because Hosea went after people like that. He illustrated the love of the Father when he went after Gomer, and I'm here to go after Gomers. I don't know if you realize, but we're the Gomer in the story, guys. And in Matthew 6, Jesus said, I'm here to chase after the Gomers. The word Hosea means salvation, and the word Gomer means completion. You're never gonna fully experience completion until you finally get to experience true salvation. You wanna know what completes you, it's your Hosea. You ever feel empty in life, you need some more of your Hosea. Jesus said, go and study these things because this is why I've come. I've come to honor mercy above sacrifice. And you know, the price that Jesus was willing to come, the price that he was willing to pay to hang on the cross, how many of you guys know that's a really high price? The Bible says that he bought you with a high price. How many of you guys know that the money that you spend on something directly reflects the value of the object? No one spends $30,000 on a car that doesn't run. The money that you put forth reflects the value that it's worth. And Jesus goes, I'm willing to pay everything because that's the value that you have. So they're gonna sing a little song. And I don't know about you, but I'm gonna, <laughs> I'm gonna go down there and I'm gonna spend some time thanking God for being my Hosea, for so loving me, for sending Jesus to come down and flip on the lights and go, this is who I really am. This is who I really am and I so love you. <laughs>